All right, welcome back to Sports Radio 94 WIP. Vince Quinn here with you in the overnight. And joining me now to talk a little bit of Sixers basketball, the managing editor of Liberty Ballers. You can find him on Twitter at Kyle Newbeck, N-E-U-B-E-C-K. What do you know? It's Kyle Newbeck. Hello, Kyle. What's going on, Vince? How you doing? I'm doing good. Uh, Thanks for joining the show. No problem. Yeah, so since I got you here, I want to do, obviously, Sixers conversation, and I, I... want to start from the top down so naturally you have Colangelo who comes into the office Hinky's been there the rumors have been that he's being pushed out the door so with with all this speculation what is the actual balance in the front office how much power does Colangelo have so my read of this situation has sort of changed as time has gone on here and a part of it is just a reaction to what's taking place on the court when Colangelo came in a lot of what they said and a lot of in the, the press conference and the, the follow-up interviews that Colangelo's done with both local and national media, it seemed like he was just sort of going to be here to smooth over relationships that Hinky may have alienated over the last couple years with agents and other teams and perhaps even some players. And Colangelo would sort of be the liaison between Hinky, the Sixers, and the rest of the league. But as this season has sort of wound on and you're seeing a really poor product on the court, frankly, this far into the season and the third season of Hinkie's tenure, and it, there doesn't really seem to be a lot of light at the end of the tunnel minus the draft picks that they have coming in, I think it's, it's fair to say that Hinkie's status within the front office is definitely going to be reevaluated for the rest of the season and going forward. And reevaluate in a sense that he might not be here next year. Isn't that possible? Correct, yeah. I mean, nothing is set in stone. I think the, everything that we know about the Sixers is they're going to do their due diligence. So whether that means they sit down at the end of the season and decide Hinky is out, or if they want to keep him around in more of a to, – so if he was were to run the analytics department, for example, that somebody else has that job right now, but let's say they think he's better qualified to do that than run all of the basketball operations. Maybe they do that and they hire a more traditional GM. I don't know that that's going to be the case, but I think pretty much everything is in play right now. Okay, now let's go to Brett Brown because previously, you know, the talent's always been bad and Brown has been very personable in pre- press conferences. It, it was hard to to really have any gripes with Brown. But this year, you see the team playing. You have Isaiah Cannon saying the other day that this team's kind of checked out since the All-Star break. What do you think his status is? Yeah, I think you've really started to see the wear and tear show for him. I know he's this relentlessly optimistic and positive guy, but the results that they've suffered through have to get to anyone. Even the, the most positive person on earth would be poor, like ill-affected by that kind of losing. So, I think you've started to see him lash out a little bit more in press conferences. I know he said that some of the things the players have done recently when they couldn't inbound a ball in the last minute of a game last week, he called it not professional and sort of called out the players, which is something he's been very hesitant to do. Hasn't done it really at all before this year. And the one thing you could say for Brown, regardless of the Sixers' results, the seasons previous to this, is that the team played hard. And right now, the effort sort of comes and goes, and that's a pretty negative sign because they don't have enough talent to not try when they do get the opportunity to play or when they're in these tight games. So I, don't, I think 
it is possible that they'll look at his status as a coach again after the season, but because they just signed him to an extension, I think it's more likely that he'll stick around. Well, do you have any questions at this point with Brett Brown as the as the talent not not evaluator, but the the way that he's managing the talent on the court, especially with the Okafor and Noel pairing. How do you think he's done in that regard? He's done about as well as I think you could be expected to. I, one of my biggest critiques is that he keeps throwing out lineups that don't really make sense. For instance, one of the big lineups he's always gone to this year is with Okafor and Noel at the front court positions, and then he puts Jeremy Grant at the three. And I like Jeremy Grant. I think he, he'll be a long-term contributor in some capacity in the NBA. But as of right now, he is not a three-point shooter. And if you put him at one of the forward positions in a lineup that is already stockpiled with guys who play close to the rim in Okafor and Noel, you're really, really damaging your spacing. So things like that, I think one of the other problems, and this was solved by bringing in Ish Smith, but earlier in the year he was sort of going to this Isaiah Cannon at the point crunch time lineup far too often for my liking without trying anything different. So I think what I want to see down the stretch from him is just to see more lineup choices, like just experiment a little bit. They have nothing to lose. The problem is when you have two guys like Okafor and Noel who rightfully think and would claim that they're the two most talented and best players on the team, it's hard to say, Hey, Nerlens, how about you take a seat on the bench so we can play a lineup that fits around Okafor better, and vice versa with Noel on the court and Okafor on the bench. So it's a really tough juggling act for him, I think. For sure. Now, one of the things that is in part to Brown's credit but is to the dismay of everyone in the organization is he doesn't have Joel Embiid. So Joel Embiid has been in Qatar and all these things. What's the status of his foot? How does he look going forward? Well, so Derek Bodner, who now writes for Philly Mag, used to write for Liberty Ballers with myself. He posted a, a nine-plus-minute-long video of Joel Embiid warming up before the game last night. And you'd be hard-pressed to find anybody who watches him and sees how he moves at his size and the type of touch and finesse that he has that wouldn't be excited if he were to suit up for the Sixers. The problem is when you have a big man who already has shown bone problems, not just foot problems, because and people sort of forget this now, but his college season at Kansas was cut short by a back issue. And so when you have a big guy who has already suffered through some bone issues with both his back and his feet, which are major problem areas, especially for somebody that's around seven feet tall. There are reports now that he's closer to seven one or seven two mm-hmm. that he's grown since he's come to the league. That's a major red flag. If, if in fact, they can stave off the injury bug, I think he is your franchise guy. Like that's the guy that you build around. It's just a major question mark of whether he's ever healthy or not. All right, so let's go to the guy that they brought in this year and has been playing in Julia Okafor. Now, offensively, it seems we've been getting more or less what we expected, about 20-plus points a night. He looks smooth in the post, all that. But the problem's been the defense. Is it correctable? And if it is, how much better can we expect him to get? I think you're going to see him cap out as maybe an average-level defender at center, which would be fine if, if in fact, his offense – consistently gets better and there's really no reason to think it's going to not get better because he's been 
borderline transcendent as a scorer at every level of basketball that he's played at. I mean, this is a kid who's barely 20 years old and is putting up 17 and a half points a game on better than 50% shooting. And that's with really no offensive help around him. I mean, his numbers just since Ish Smith joined the team and Ish Smith is a journeyman level player have gone through the roof. And so if you put Ish Smith next to him and he gets much better, imagine how much better he can be on offense when you put, let's say, a, a, if they were to draft Chris Dunn from Providence, the point guard, mm-hmm. if you put him out there with Jaleel and that provides more of a threat on offense, aside from setting him up, I think that will open up a ton for him. So I, there are no concerns for me as far as how good he's going to be on offense. The question is whether he can translate the – the obvious mastery of footwork and timing that he has on the offensive end and use that to his advantage covering pick and rolls on the defensive end. And that's that's very much up in the air right now. All right. Now, one thing I want to get to, uh, I referenced this earlier, the comment from Isaiah Cannon saying the team's more or less quit since the All-Star break. And you look at the losses that just keep piling up. I don't think the last game they won was maybe like February 6th. It's been a while. Yeah, it was prior to the All-Star break. They have, they've come out of the All-Star break and struggled mightily. Yeah, so you see what it is right now. And even before then, I mean, before Ish Smith shows up and they have this run, they've been, they've been terrible this year in a year where people thought they would finally take this step forward. I mean, for me, I look at this, and if you can convince me, please do. But I, I don't know how to believe in the process to this stage with these three years in what you can look at to say this has been a success. Yeah, I mean, the problem is every time that we've thought, oh, well, this is going to be when they take a jump, the tanking's over, something has happened where the Sixers' planes were thrown off. So, for example, when they drafted at number three a couple years ago, when they took Joel Embiid, when he was healthy, he was going to be the number one pick in the draft, and Andrew Wiggins would have ended up with the Sixers. So then you would have ended up with, a Nerlens Noel, Andrew Wiggins defensive duo that would have just locked teams down almost on their own. So then once after that happened, once Embiid comes to them and they have to deal with the aftermath of the surgery, then he's getting healthy. He's getting healthy going into last year's draft. And D'Angelo Russell gets taken second when the presumption was that Okafor and Towns would go one and two and the Sixers would get their point guard of the future. And so then they take another big man who doesn't really fit with Nerlens Noel and, frankly, probably won't fit with Joel Embiid when he gets back to the court. And the timeline really hasn't moved at all in those two years. So the optimist, you want to say this summer is really when things are going to ramp up because not only will the Sixers have most likely at least three first-round picks this year, they also will have a metric ton of cap space because they already have cap space on their own. And the league salary cap is jumping up to, I think, around $90 million in the offseason thanks to the new TV deal. So they'll have money to go chase guys if there's people they can lure to Philadelphia. It's just a matter of who's going to be making the decisions, what they prioritize, sort of how the the draft plays out as well. So if you want to try to be optimistic about it, they have – and this is a dreaded word for some people, plenty of assets to use in the future. Okay, well, you're talking about the cap going up. And and just for a frame of reference, where are the Sixers right now with the cap? The Sixers are even below the salary floor, so they're not even – they're not – 
and that's the minimum that you are supposed to spend up to. Now, there's not really a penalty for not getting there. The Sixers, if they remain under the salary floor until the end of the season, that just means that the difference between where they're at and the salary floor will be paid out to the players on the roster, which the players on the roster have to be hoping that the Sixers don't spend any more money this year towards the salary cap because that means they'll get a a nice little end-of-season bonus for all this suffering that they've done. (laughs) Suffering is the way to put it for sure. Yeah. Now – uh, we've, we've been touching on the draft here and there, and obviously Ben Simmons has been the guy that everyone's talking about. I mean, it's if you look at any mock draft anywhere, the, the first name that's going to get mentioned is Simmons. He seems to be projected to go to the Sixers first. So if if that were to happen, the Sixers are drafting first. Is Ben Simmons your guy, and why or why not? I'm I'm very much up in the air with this right now. I honestly would probably lean slightly toward Duke's Brandon Ingram at the moment based on the Sixers' current roster situation, but also just as a prospect in general. I love Ben Simmons as much as anybody. I mean, you have a kid that young who does so many different things on a basketball court. He's a transcendent-level passer, has vision that I mean, too many people have compared him to LeBron this year, but one thing that does rival LeBron is the type of vision he has. And standing at 6'10 and his ability to see over the defense and make these passes, that is a major asset, especially for somebody who's probably likely to split time between power forward and small forward at the next level. He's going to be a matchup nightmare for a lot of people. The big question with him is – will he ever be a passable outside shooter? Because not only does he not show much of an ability to make shots right now, he really doesn't take shots from the outside that much. He's averaging a tenth of a three-point attempt per game, which <laughs> if he's going to be a point forward at the next level, that's just absurd. That, that can't happen. And meanwhile, you have Brandon Ingram at Duke, who is shooting 45% from the field and 40% from three on over five attempts per game is super lengthy. He's got a seven, three wingspan. He seems like he's a natural scorer. He has, believe it or not, he has some peripherals number wise that compare him favorably to Kevin Durant during his freshman year at Texas. So he's got pretty much all that you could ask for in a prospect at the top of the draft. And frankly, if the Sixers are going to build around at least one, maybe two of these big men that they already have on the roster, they need to have a lights-out go-to scorer and shooter on the outside to build around as well. And I think Brandon Ingram is that guy. And see, I'm glad you said that because I've been thinking the same thing with Ingram because I've imagined now a front court where you have Ben Simmons, Nerlens Noel, and Jaleel Okafor, and nothing happens. You have three guys standing next to each other. Like, I, I, How would that work? Right, yeah. I think that the issue is, regardless, I think one of these guys is going to get moved. But if Simmons comes, especially, like then you really have to move somebody because his best bet at the next level, in my opinion, is playing as sort of a – and it sounds weird to call him a stretch four after I said he can't shoot, but <laughs> you want him to be a four that is going to drag slower defenders away from the basket and use his ability to – beat people in space and make passes and so on and so forth. So if you want him playing the four, that already eliminates one of Okafor and Noel from the starting lineup. You're assuming, honestly, that Joel Embiid would be the presumed starter if I were if I had 
an ideal team that I was putting together from the guys on their roster. So somebody's going to have to go regardless, and Simmons will only exacerbate that problem. Okay, well, final question for you. And by the way, this has been Kyle Newbeck from Liberty Baller. So, Kyle, the last question would be, if you had to part from one, Nerlens Noel or Jaleel Okafor, say it's draft day, the Sixers want to make a move, which guy is getting moved? Honestly, for me, and I've said this throughout most of this year, it would have to be Jaleel Okafor, not only because I, I have a preference for centers like Noel that they don't really have to need the ball that much on offense. They, they score through alley-oops and lobs and just quick duck-ins as opposed, <clears throat> excuse me, as opposed to somebody like Jaleel Okafor that he's an ISO-heavy player, that he's, he's not quite a black hole, but he's gotten to that point at times this season. And then on the other end, just is frankly not very good yet, nor is there a lot of hope for him to ever be more than an average-level defender. And to me, as a center, the most important element of your game has to be defense and rebounding. And so far, only Noel has showed defense. Okavor hasn't shown defense or much rebounding. So if I had to move one, it would be him. Though I haven't been very encouraged by Noel's play this year either. And the change of position and the awkward fit with Okavor has seen a bit of regression from him on the defensive end. Yeah, there hasn't been a lot to be excited about with the Sixers team this year, but I am glad you were able to stop in again. This is Kyle Newbeck from Liberty Ballers, the managing editor there. You can follow him on Twitter at Kyle Newbeck, N-E-U-B-E-C-K. Kyle, thanks for joining the show. Thanks for having me, Vince. Anytime. Hey, appreciate it. Take care. All right, so if you want to get in, you can give me a call at 1-888-729-9494, pound 9494 on your AT&T Verizon wireless cell phone, or on Twitter at It's Vince Quinn. That's all one word, at It's Vince Quinn. I'll talk to you on the other side.